presented content does not provide or constitute medical, financial, or legal advice. The content is for information purposes only. Viewing or listening to the content does not constitute a physician-patient, dentist-patient, fiduciary client, or attorney-client relationship. Welcome to Knowledgeable Aging. I'm your host, Jason Kotar. Joining us today to talk about insurance coverage for hospice services is Lorraine Spiota. Lorraine is a community liaison for Hospice of New Jersey, building relationships within the community and simplifying extensive coverage of hospice services to patients and families. Lorraine is the president and founder of Senior Long-Term Care Insurance Brokerage, Inc. Lorraine is widely recognized and acknowledged in New Jersey as one of the foremost spokespersons in the long-term care insurance industry. In addition, Lorraine is the author of Key Solutions for Caregivers, a simplistic and realistic guide for caregivers. How are you doing today, Lorraine? Good, Jason. How are you? I'm doing very good. Very good. Thank you for asking. Uh, before we get started, for those that are joining us for our live webinar, if you have any questions, uh, time permitting, we will do everything in our power. Put those, type those questions in, and we'll do what we can to get your questions answered. So, Lorraine, I'm going to turn it over to you. Insurance coverage for hospice services. Very good. Thank you, Jason. Welcome, everybody. It was, it's nice to have you here. Um, Jason, my, oops. Oh, there we go. Okay, Jason's very good at helping speakers with technology. So as Jason said, <laughs> my name is Lorraine Spiata, and I'm a community liaison with Hospice of New Jersey. And what I do as a community liaison is I work with families, as well as case managers in hospitals, doctor's offices, social workers at nursing homes, and uh, wellness directors at assisted living facilities. Hospice is not a place, it is a service and it is covered under insurance, healthcare insurance. So the topic is insurance coverage for hospice services. We do have people who are under the age of 65 who come on services. So when we initiate a conversation, whether it's through the hospital, through the doctor's office, or the family calls direct, we have to verify the insurance for them. Private health insurance may have a deductible that needs to be satisfied. So it's always good to be transparent with that information to the family. We may be in or out of network for that family, or they may have a long-term care insurance policy that might have hospice benefits. So it's good for the family to know what the health insurance will cover if they're under age 65. As my background, like Jason mentioned, I specialize in long-term care insurance policies as well. And what I like to say to people is that those policies are like a good bottle of wine, uncork them and let it breathe. So if your family member or you have a policy, never hesitate to find out if you're eligible for a claim. If people are over, a patient is over age 65, they're probably most likely enrolled in Medicare Part A. And that's where the hospice benefit falls, Medicare Part A and it's covered 100%, no deductible, no coinsurance. So when we work with a family, let's say for example that they're being discharged from the hospital, the doctor or the hospitalist doctor would write an order for hospice. The diagnosis must meet the underwriting guidelines of Medicare. So what happens when we work with a family and work with the doctor or the hospital, they, set, they send over clinical information, history and physical, progress notes, um, about the patient. And from that information, we check the diagnosis along with the Medicare guidelines. I've had had patients who were 104 years old and families 
inquire about hospice services, um, but they don't have an underlying diagnosis like congestive heart failure or COPD or end-stage Alzheimer's. They're just possibly bedridden and they need assistance with, let's say, activities of daily living like bathing, eating, dressing, but they don't necessarily meet the guidelines, even though they're 104 years old for hospice benefits under the Medicare guidelines. So failure to thrive was many years ago a diagnosis, but that is no longer an acceptable diagnosis under Medicare. Hospice, like I mentioned, is not a place, it's a service, and it's for people with life-limiting illnesses with a prognosis of six months or less if the disease takes its normal course. As a hospice team, we honor the wishes of the patient as well as the family. We treat people for comfort care and with dignity. And as a team, we provide additional services for wherever the patient may live. They could be at home, they could be in assisted living, they could be in a nursing home. So what we cover that many people don't understand is when a family is at the point where they've gone through so many years of this diagnosis and the patient possibly could be going in and out of the emergency room, the hospital, there's nothing left. The patient has decided that they no longer seek aggressive treatment and the doctor recommends or the family inquires about hospice. So the primary care physician can follow the family or follow the patient while on hospice. And what's nice about that is they probably have had a relationship for over a period of time. So continuity of care is important. What we do as a team, and we're interdisciplinary team, we have a nurse who would go that day to do an admission and create a care plan. The care plan is then submitted to the doctor who uh, approves or disapproves of the nurse's suggestions. We'll send over medication to be on hand uh, in the house. So if something happens where the patient can't catch their breath in the middle of the night or uh, the pain, there's pain involved, there's medication on hand to avoid an emergency room visit. We'll provide an aid. The aid is there for a short period of time. We are intermittent. We're not taking over uh, the, the complete care 24-7 in the home or assisted living or the nursing home. We are assisting to, to those facilities as well to the family at home. But the aide will go and take care of, um, for like an hour, hour and a half, personal hygiene. Spiritual counseling is important for somebody with a terminal illness. And we're there to comfort them mentally and physically. Bereavement counseling continues uh, to follow the family after someone passes away for 13 months because the anniversary is the hardest part. When I mentioned before that a patient decides to no longer have aggressive, aggressive treatment, a lot of times that will include physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech therapy. Under hospice benefits, we do cover physical therapy, occupation, and speech therapy if it's only for comfort measures. Somebody needs to have us, a therapist come in to transfer from the bed to a chair, and that's only gonna be very limited time. Social services. A social worker is also assigned to the family. The social worker helps families if there's a family dynamic that needs to be talked through. The social worker helps a patient. My favorite story is our social worker had a patient in a nursing home and the nurse and the patient loved a beer and a pizza. So she reached out to the doctor and the doctor prescribed a beer and a pizza for that patient uh, once a week. 
So those are the things that hospice does that regular, when you think about healthcare, doesn't necessarily take into consideration. Dietary counseling, volunteers. Pre-COVID, we would have volunteers visit patients. And with all this attention between the nursing, the aid, uh, the spiritual counselor, the social worker, um, the volunteers, a lot of times people start to um, have a purpose and they they start to thrive, which means possibly the person might start eating more and gaining weight. And at that point, sometimes we have to take them off a of hospice for a while, uh, which is unfortunate. But um, if they start to thrive, then um, they no longer meet the guidelines of uh, Medicare. So a lot of things do happen. And it doesn't necessarily mean someone comes onto hospice and passes away the next day. A lot of times people stay on service for a year, two years. We have patients that go to adult daycare and are on hospice. So it doesn't mean someone has to be bedridden. Um, sometimes if a patient, if we can't control the pain, uh, we might, if they're home, have to um, have them go into an inpatient facility. And there is a, the availability if the patient is at home and the caregiver needed a break. The hospice benefits covered 100% under Medicare, no deductible, no coinsurance, uh, is a respite stay. So five days of care in a nursing facility would be available for the patient to give the caregiver a break. So what's not covered under hospice is um, treatment for a terminal illness. So as I mentioned, uh, the patient has to decide that they no longer seek aggressive treatment for the illness. So palliative, which is um, another form of um, symptom management, is where a patient can have uh, a team of professionals help with comfort care, but can continue to seek um, treatment for that disease. Um, there's only one hospice company. Here in the state of New Jersey, we have many hospice companies. Even if a hospital has a hospice company, patients do have choice. Um, medications, um, we cover all the medications related to the diagnosis of the disease that we are taking care of. Visits to the emergency room depart department. Um, it's, it's because we, we supply the comfort kit and we have a phone availability for the family to call us 24 seven, it really helps to stop the back and forth to the emergency room. Hospice of New Jersey, they'll call our office and it's two o'clock in the morning on a Sunday and our nurse is going to visit. Sitter services, hired caregivers, a lot of times patients are confused with what Medicare covers and what is healthcare. Healthcare is not about providing an aid for personal hygiene 24 seven. It's uh, that those services would be private pay or covered under long-term care insurance policy. Admission to a hospital without prior approval. So if somebody needed to go to the hospital and the family panicked and dialed 911, they're instructed to call us first. But if somebody fell and broke their hip, they can go to the hospital because it's not related to the illness that we have covered. Um, in addition, a lot of people think that everything has to stop if somebody's under hospice. If we have a patient who has a diagnosis of congestive heart failure or COPD, but they also have um, dialysis for uh, kidneys, if um, 
we're using a diagnosis of COPD or congestive heart failure, they can continue to go to dialysis because that's not what we're treating them for. And the dialysis is keep, keeping that person comfortable. Um, lab studies, medical testing, other treatments. Again, everything has to follow the care plan that is developed by the nurse upon admission. We continue to follow and make changes to that care plan on a regular basis. Hospice companies have medical directors, so the inter interdisciplinary team meets on a regular basis uh, to review every patient that's under our care. Hospice benefits, there's four levels of hospice benefits. So the routine home care, it's provided, like I mentioned, intermittently. We're available 24-7, but we're not actually there 24-7. Hospice is not a place, it's a service that's provided under Medicare. Um, so wherever the person lives, we take care of them, in the home, assisted living, nursing home. Sometimes if so symptoms become unmanageable, we would have to use the next level of care, which is general inpatient care. So this level of care is on a short-term basis, okay? Inpatient respite care, this again helps to care for the caregiver. So as a hospice team, we're treating the whole family, the unit as a whole. Um, our goal is to help everybody in that family. So if the caregiver needed to go to the hospital themselves, or they were just burned out from the caregiving responsibilities, or they had a family matter, a wedding, um, we can have the social worker work with the family, call a local nursing home, and have that patient in that facility for five days, covered 100%, no deductible, no co-insurance, and no payment for room and board, um, covered under Medicare. Continuous home care, um, maybe about a minimum of eight hours per day, and this is during periods of crisis. Those are the four levels of hospice care under Medicare. Okay. So Medicare is national. Here in New Jersey, we have many hospice companies providing services, but I know in other states, there might only be one hospice company per county. Um, so the providers are different, but the levels of care provided under Medicare are the same. So here in New Jersey, families don't know that they have choice. So if a hospital is discharging, they're gonna go the path of least resistance, which is their own hospice company. Right. But if a hospital gets fairly busy and the patient's being discharged on a Friday and they can't get services until Tuesday, not that it happens a lot, but it could happen. You know, we get busy, they get busy. So there is a solution if somebody needed to uh, have a hospice service right away by looking into other hospice companies. What I like to talk about is also that there's Medicare and there's Medicaid. So Medicare, um, most people are covered if they participated in um, salary deductions into uh, Social Security and Medicare benefits. Medicaid is financial aid. So Medicaid is a federal program state administered. So every state is different. A lot of times families have family in Florida and they want to move them back to New Jersey, where I am, for medical treatment or for the person to live with them. They're on Medicaid in Florida, and it does not mean that they're automatically Medicaid in New Jersey. They would have to go through that process here in this state. But Medicaid is 100% covered also for the hospice services. What's important, the difference, Medicaid also covers room and board in a nursing facility. Many times families are stunned 
that if their loved one cannot be taken care of at home, that they would have to private pay the room and board in a nursing home. And it is true. They would have to private pay room and board in a nursing home until that person spends down all their assets and qualifies for Medicaid under the state that they live in. Um, and that facility must um, accept Medicaid benefits for payment of the room and board as well. And that's something our social workers also continue to go over with the family as we work together. So Medicare is healthcare and does not cover room and board for a nursing home. And room and board is private pay or long-term care insurance coverage. How has COVID impacted Lorraine, the hospice industry, or um, especially maybe in your area? That's a good question. Right away, we were proactive, like many facilities and services that provide benefits to the elderly. Um, we had all our PPE ready and everybody was uh, protected. What happened to the services, a lot of families um, denied uh, an aid to help them, wanted limited visitations from our nurses, um, but were concerned also about having to go to a facility or having to go to the emergency room. So we saw a lot more people learning about hospice benefits, a lot more doctors recommending hospice benefits. So doctors can go either way. Doctors are trained to cure uh, somebody. And they also might have a limited knowledge sometimes, depending on the doctor and what they were exposed to in the past of the benefits of hospice. Um, so a, a lot of good things um, came out of uh, the COVID because of um, people's fear of going into a facility, whether it be assisted living or a nursing home. Yeah. So Lorraine, you had mentioned the word palliative care. Can you explain the difference? Somebody was asking the difference between hospice and palliative care. That's a good question because it does get confusing. Most hospitals have a team called palliative team. And when somebody is in uh, the hospital for treatment for an illness, let's say it's cancer and they're seeking aggressive treatment uh, still, and um, but they're uncomfortable. There's a lot of pain, um, nausea, um, because of those those drugs or that that treatment, then the palliative team together with the family and with the patient will provide comfort measures to keep that person comfortable. Palliative is covered under Medicare and, and healthcare as well, but it doesn't include all the other services that hospice does. So the family would have to decide or the patient that they no longer seek aggressive treatment. And that's the point where they would then switch from palliative care to hospice benefits. And the hospice benefits would include the nurse visitations, the aid visitations, the social worker, the spiritual counselor, all the durable medical equipment. So if somebody's at home and being discharged from the hospital, we'll have delivered prior to that patient getting home, a hospital bed, air mattress, oxygen, um, commode, wheelchair, even the table that goes over the hospital bed, Whatever's needed to keep that person comfortable at home is provided under the hospice benefits, where the palliative is strictly more just the comfort care. So they're both, they kind of, hospice dovetails palliative once the person stops seeking aggressive treatment. Gotcha. 
Somebody else asked, do I have to leave my home in order to receive hospice benefits? That's also a good question. People feel that uh, for some reason uh, that because they feel or heard that hospice is an inpatient on a hospital floor, which they have, or in a special hospital just for hospice patients. But most of our patients are on at home. People prefer to be at home and um, they're more comfortable at home and those are their wishes. Uh, so most people would prefer to be at home if possible and it, it all depends on the support they have. If they live alone and don't have family, a lot of family to help with the caregiving responsibilities, our social workers, uh, myself, our team would recommend certain home care companies. Home care companies are private pay, so it would be either a couple hours a day or a live-in, whatever is works out for the family. But maintaining somebody at home is probably one of the best benefits of being on hospice and because we visit as well. And we're there, again, 24-7 via phone. And if there was a crisis, our staff, our nurses would be on the way to help that family uh, get through that crisis. So you had mentioned, Lorraine, the doctor, um, as far as hospice is required, or as far as hospice. Does the doctor have to agree um, in order for the patient to receive benefits? Uh, that's a great question as well. Um, no, not necessarily. Um, people are getting educated more and more through webinars and podcasts like what you put together, Jason, which is which is really something special. Um, so a doctor might not have that conversation with the family, but the family might have had a life experience where they used hospice benefits before. They have a choice. So they have a choice to say to the doctor, you know, we think it's time. We want hospice benefits to start. And if the doctor doesn't agree, they can seek the advice of another doctor or call the hospice company direct. And we have medical um, directors uh, who are doctors on staff, and the person can easily use one of our medical directors to oversee the patient's care. So, and it could be even a hospital doctor, a hospitalist, he could write the order in the hospital. And then one of our medical directors, if a patient doesn't have a primary care physician, can follow that patient in the home as well. So there's there's never any barriers to care. It's just uh, the diagnosis as far as um, what is um, considered eligible under the Medicare guidelines. But if they meet those uh, guidelines, there's no reason uh, not to have the benefits or the services of hospice at home or an assisted living or a nursing home. Yeah. So obviously, Lorraine, you're an expert in long-term care. You've got Medicare, Medicaid. How does somebody potentially navigate all of this information regarding when to sign up for Medicare? You even have on the screen right now Medicaid, Medicaid benefits. How does somebody even qualify for you know Medicaid? How does somebody begin to navigate understanding long-term care vis-a-vis -vis Medicare and Medicaid? Right. It's it's very it's very confusing for many people. Um, and Medicaid is, again, a federal program. So it is um, state administered. Even here in New Jersey, it, you have to go to the county to um, to apply for Medicaid. 
So some people have businesses, whether it's a, an elder law attorney that will help people through the Medicaid process, the spend down. I'm not an attorney, but uh, there are attorneys out there who charge a fee to help families spend down on the Medicaid basis, uh, on the Medicaid um, spend down rules. Um, but there is um, local um, offices that help people with the Medicaid process. But you really have to have no money um, left under the Medicaid. And then people confuse Medicare. So Medicare, if people paid into Social Security once they turn 65, they automatically have Medicare Part A. Medicare Medi is free. Medicare Part B is a small deduction out of Social Security benefits. And then they apply or buy a Medicare supplement plan. So the Medicare supplement is like a major medical. So you have Medicare A, Medicare B, and a, and a medical Medicare supplement program. Or people are choosing Medicare Advantage. Medicare Advantage is simply a product that is a little bit less expensive, but it is a managed product. So the, the insurance company is managing how many days somebody might stay in a subacute if they're there for rehab and be in or out of network. So you have to seek the advice of somebody who specializes in Medicare, which is healthcare, so to supplement the A and B parts of uh, of your healthcare, as well as your prescriptions and and so on. Is there a time in a person's life when they need to start having these conversations about long-term care? I understand Medicare is at a certain age, but also you have Medicaid. When should these conversations, you, you mentioned the word conversation a couple times, when should these conversations be happening in the family and then reaching out to a company like yours? Well, through my experience um, helping families um, with long-term care insurance over all these years, it's usually when somebody has experienced a loved one and they realize that the cost of care is in New Jersey anyway and pretty close. A live-in at, at home, let's say, is about $300 a day. That's $300 a day. Um, a nursing home could be anywhere from 375 a day to $450 a day. And that's a daily benefit, okay? So when somebody has a loved one and they're writing checks out for $10,000, $15,000 a month, they start to think, wow, this could happen to me as I age. So they start looking into long-term care insurance. And the policies are so flexible that you don't have to be overinsured. You wouldn't want to necessarily be underinsured, but you want to find that, that sweet spot for yourself. So if the premium is what it is, uh, $1,000 a year, $2,000 a year, $10,000 a year, everybody has their own um, comfort level as far as uh, what they're willing to pay in premium for the peace of mind that if something did happen to them, money would be coming in to take care of them, whether they're at home or a nursing home or assisted living. So, um, and it's a, it's, it's actually a peace of mind. I have mine. I've had, I've been paying my policy since I was 40 years old, and I'll never stop paying it. Uh, as I mentioned, policies evolve. Now they have policies with a life insurance component to it. So if you don't need it for long-term care, there's a death benefit, com death benefit component where that death benefit would go to a beneficiary. So there's a lot of options and they vary by state. So I know you're national, so it would be something to look into. 
it doesn't hurt to get a quote. Knowledge is power. So it's better to, to know what the cost is, review it, analyze it, and see if it's right for you. Yeah. Or people also, in addition to having long-term care insurance, still do planning through an elder law attorney. So I would always say to seek the advice of an elder law attorney, not a real estate attorney, for things like uh, planning for, for your future as you age, as far as asset protection and, and what's available in your state and what your goals are. Okay. Last question. Tell us about your book and why you thought it was important, Lorraine. Well, my book, um, I have a life experience. My dad has Parkinson's, but also my aunt at one time, she asked me to give her the phone number and policy number, and I and I gave it to her for my uncle's uh, long-term care policy. And I said, where did you write that down? And she said, on, a, on an envelope on the counter. So right there, it, it dawned on me that caregivers really need to be organized. They need to know where things are. They need to know what is Medicare, what's Medicaid, but it has to be simplistic and realistic. And that was my goal. So there is a part of the part of the book where it just lists like, you know, what's dad's date of birth? A lot of us know the, the month and the day, but ne not necessarily the year. So it's those little things, you know, where if there's somebody's a veteran, where's those documents? So you have to be organized in order to um, stay less stressed and be able to enjoy the time you have left with the person that you're caring for. So it's a simplistic, realistic handbook, workbook for families who are care for a person who's a caregiver. And that was my goal. Very good. Well, thank you so much, Lorraine. So how can people find you? You can find me on um, my, you can call me at my phone number, 732-651-1495, or make it easy, Lorraine Spiata at my website, www.lorraine, L-O-R-R-A-I-N-E, Spiata, S is in Sam, P is in Peter, I-O, double T is in Tom, A is in Apple.com. And that has all my information, email, and contact information. Very good. And the, and the book is Key Solutions for Caregivers. And that can be found where? On my website. Very good. As far <laughs> as Knowledgeable Aging, uh, you can go to all of, uh, go to our website, www.knowledgeableaging.com. You can see all of our upcoming and archive webinars there. You can also go to our YouTube page. You get to YouTube, type in Knowledgeable Aging. I encourage you to subscribe. We update that four to five times per week. If podcasts are your thing, you can find us on Apple Tunes, Spotify, et cetera. Until next time, I'm your host, Jason Kotar, and this is Knowledgeable Agent. <music>